You're listening to the Accelerating Growth Reg A to M&A podcast, where we speak with the leaders in capital raise to the leaders in M&A and everyone in between. Your host is Roy Gatling. Let's get to the show. All right. Today, our guest is Tony Paquin. He is the co-founder, chair, and CEO of iRemedy. iRemedy is on a mission to transform the medical supply chain industries. Tony, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Roy. It's great to be here. Happy to join you. Now, you, know, you and your team have a really impressive history. So if you would, tell us a little bit about how you and your team got to this point and how you're transforming the medical supply chain. Sure. Love to do that. So we are guys that have been you know, around the software industry for a long time. So I, I sort of grew up as a software programmer. My brother, Gary, who's one of my co-founders, was an executive at IBM and uh, later at Computer Associates, where he was a VP of sales. And the, you know, the joke in the family was at one point he needed to make quotas, so he sold me a computer. And those <laughs> days, you got a computer. They didn't do anything. You had to learn how to program to make them work. So I'd be a programmer. So we, you know, we've worked together, Gary and I, for 30, 40 years, done a couple of pretty large software companies, started one in the insurance industry uh, that uh, we, you know, we built up to about 1,000 people, a couple hundred million in revenue, ran it, ended up selling it, ran it for a group of insurance companies. It was insurance software business. And, uh, you know, we ended up selling that. That went on to become a, a billion-dollar company in the end. So that's that's still very much up and running. Then we uh, later set up another company, which was an electronic medical record software business. And we sold that uh, in, the, in an IPO. We took that public on the NASDAQ. So, you know, we've kind of lived both those experiences of, you know, on the one hand, uh, you know, selling a company through acquisition, on the other hand, you know, doing an IPO. My, uh, the other deal is my interesting partner, Chief Technology Officer Jim Harding, he uh, actually was one of the original inventors of MS-DOS and uh, sold it to Bill Gates for the creation of Microsoft. So that's a pretty cool story. It was a very exciting time for him. And, you know, in those days, Microsoft was a real... Yeah, there are a couple of young guys who, you know, are in their 20s in, in Seattle. So he did that. And then he did, you know, filed some patents with Paul Allen and created a database at Microsoft and some pretty exciting work. Ultimately, Jim went on to sell two companies to Amazon, to Jeff Bezos, joined Amazon, became the vice president of technology there, and really is the guy that built what we all think of as Amazon. Yeah, so the Amazon Marketplace. That was really Jim's special, you know, what he did. When he joined Amazon, they were a bookstore. And then they became the everything store under his direction. He, you can imagine he's just a fascinating individual. He's brilliant. And uh, he and I were really close friends. And, you know, at one point about five years ago, I set off to do this, which was to reinvent the medical supply industry, wind up build some kind of AI-driven marketplace technology. So naturally, I went to the guy. You know, It's like Jim said to me, he says, well, if you want to build the Amazon of healthcare, you should work with the guy who built the Amazon of Amazon. Yeah, mm, <laughs> so that's right. what we did. So a little bit of the history, a lot of fun, a lot of fun guys. Well, that's fantastic. I think we could have um, 
you know, over a, a cold beverage, uh, a lot of um, interesting stories. I think we've been through essentially uh, the, the history of, you know, compute as, uh, you know, from the advent of the personal computer on to today. So absolutely. Yeah, Very amazing, fantastic. really, when you think about that history. And, you know, I hate to kind of age myself too much, but, you know, we lived through some times that were That's really right. fascinating. And, yeah. uh uh, yeah, it's, it was just uh, a really interesting time. Kind of moved through, you know. It started. It was like a computer world, IBM, and you know all that. And then it became a software world, which is when I started to do my first software deal. Then it became an internet world, right? And and now we would probably argue that it's uh, artificial intelligence generation. Yeah, absolutely agree. And we're definitely going to get into that because I know that applies to what you're doing there at iRemedy. Mm -hmm. uh, fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, I think you recently went through a capital A, you know, raise fundraising. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to just briefly hear from you uh, a little bit about the process you had to go through in order to do that, how it went for you and, and any suggestions or maybe caveats you'd have for anyone else that might be pursuing that. So, you know, we've done very well. You know, we've done... Uh, really, you could think of it as two uh, approaches to capital for iRemedy. One was we did a Reg D. Now, in a Reg D, you sell stock to accredited investors. And it's a little bit more regulated, a little bit more documentation required. For us, it was a good way to go because the potential investors for us were doctors. And doctors are typically accredited investors. They're people, an accredited investor has a certain net worth or a certain level of income, which implies that they have a certain level of sophistication. <laughs> so we did that. That worked out really, really well. But we were also convinced, you know, <clears throat> that we had other people, just customers and end users and consumers and people who weren't accredited that uh, wanted to invest in the company and, and we thought it'd be a good initiative and another place for us to go. So we did, as you would know, a Reg A investment. And actually I think it's considered to be a Reg A plus, which has mm -hmm. to do with how much money can you raise and so forth. So that has worked really well because while we raised, we, we raised less money on the Reg A than we did on the Reg D, the Reg A is ongoing, so it's not over yet. We'll let that continue to go. But the branding value is fantastic because, you know, you're, you're now able to advertise, you're able to, you know, speak to a bigger market. And that has these, this other value of just like promoting your brand, building the business, you know, enables you to get out and tell your story a little bit more publicly. I think that's a, a huge advantage. Um, in our case, the other thing I would I would note is that we spend a lot of time on corporate governance. So, you know, we're a Delaware corporation. We have a good board of directors. We're a fully audited company. You know, we have a good CFO. Like, we invested a lot in that because, frankly, someday we're probably going to do an IPO. So this, you know, kind of exercises the team, gets them ready for that, you know, later transaction. But I, my advice to people would be if you're going to go down the road of a Reg D or a Reg A, you know, to, to invest that time and effort into sort of increasing your, you know, your knowledge and sophistication in that corporate governance side of the house. It just, 
it's just worth it. You'll be you'll sleep better at night knowing that you're surrounded by the right kind of lawyers, auditors, advisors. Yeah, no, that's great. I think, you know, you having been through an IPO and, you know, any sort of uh, acquisition, you know, going through due diligence, you know what that's like. And so right. um, the requirement for audited records and things of that nature, big deal. All right. Well, that's fantastic. I think that'd be helpful to to anyone that's uh, pursuing that. Now, uh, one thing I've picked up on, I mean, your company is growing pretty rapidly. And so... Um, you know, I, there's probably a lot of uh, areas or options, but where is the continued growth going to be coming from in your mind? So there is a lot of different opportunities for us. First off, we're growing rapidly, uh, but we're still very, very small in the context of our market, which is basically the medical supply industry. It depends on what all you want to count in our world. But, uh, you know, it's a few hundred billion dollar market, depending if you're thinking of pharmacy or medical devices or medical supplies or surgery or, you know, where the case might be. But it's obviously massive market mm. and it's terribly inefficient. It's old. You know, <laughs> a couple of the big medical supply distributors have been around for 100 years or more. So it's, it's due to be reinvented or modernized. Um, so we have a lot of growth opportunities. I think probably where we're seeing the most action right now is the manufacturers of medical supplies are wanting to get a little bit more directly connected to the end users and sort of this direct distribution model. I think you're going to see a lot of growth in that area. And then the other interesting thing about medical supplies, I actually have a book by the way, coming out on this, plug my book a little bit. But uh, we have a book coming out in about two weeks. We've been working on for a year on the globalization of the medical supply chain. So probably 90% of all pharmaceutical medical devices, medical supplies are made overseas. And by the way, mostly in China. And this is a problem. I mean, that was really the problem during the pandemic. You couldn't right. get anything. Well, because it was a global supply chain that, of course, fell apart. The world is now waking up to this. You know, you see this even politically a lot of talk about, you know, the you know, supplier relationships, countries that we're doing business with and so forth. So we see a lot of action in that area where either in the U.S. where they're building new manufacturing here in the States or, you know, what they refer to sometimes as friendshoring. So in other words, mm -hmm you know, offshoring, but with friendly countries. Like, you, you know, you're going to see Mexico become a much bigger player in this market, for example. And so for us, that represents opportunity because we help these new companies and new, you know, new, new countries and manufacturers can't get access to the U.S. market. That's like our vision. We want to be able to do that. Uh, so that's just going to create massive opportunity for yeah, I was be surprised. I mean, one big client and we double our revenue. You know, it's the you know, I was curious about repatriation of some of that, you know, especially coming out of the whole COVID uh, you know, time yeah. frame. And uh hearing that about Mexico, that's I think that's encouraging. I was wondering about that. I mean, clearly in the uh in automotive and compute and things like that, we you know, that was a big deal years ago. And uh I grew up in South Texas, so I'm I kind of okay. got to see it firsthand. No, you get you know? it. Yeah, yeah so I, I saw it firsthand. I, I grew up in Michigan, 
And my dad was a GM executive. Mm. And so we lived through that era where, you know, it used to be everything was made in America. You know? yeah, right. And then it moved and it moved to Japan and it moved a little bit to Mexico and other places, but ultimately all went to China. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's definitely going to change. Uh, you know, Mexico, by the way, is I think a fascinating country. You know, we have all these southern border controversies, but... <laughs> The, that the Mexico economy is probably going to continue to grow and do really good. I, I think you're going to see massive manufacturing south of the U.S. border. Um, yeah, the the redomestication, if you will, of the of the medical supply chain is it's absolutely going to happen. Now it's it's not the kind of thing you can do overnight. Like it'll take decades and decades to to turn that big ship around, but it's inevitable. You know, you can't have. You know, you can't live through pandemics. And even today, like if you go out and you just go to Google and you Google drug shortage, you're going to see articles right now of critical cancer drugs that are in massive shortages. I mean, people can't get the treatments they need because there's shortages because these products come from around the world. And, you know, there's things going on in the world that make it unreliable as Mm -hmm. a supply chain. So... Definitely going to happen. Well, you know, you've mentioned a couple of things here, so I'm curious. Um, maybe some of the challenges you faced in bringing technology into this sector. You know, have there been many at all? Yeah, it's uh, a lot. You know, there always are, right? When you try and when you think about it, right? If you saying I'm a disruptor market, I'm a market mm-hmm. disruptor. Well, the very word tells you that. It's a problem. <laughs> like you're disrupting somebody. <laughs> sure. Whoever you're disrupting is probably not happy with the disruption. Right. right. So you've got, you know, that sort of legacy world out there that's going to resist you. And the other thing that we found in the medical world or the healthcare industry is is Silicon Valley, you know, the tech world is very logical. They're very common sense driven. You know. As I say, you know, in the Silicon Valley, two plus two always equals four. It's logic based. Come, yeah, yeah. But when it's logic based, mm-hmm. it's a lot like the like they're t- for Elon Musk and all those guys. You know, they look at it and they go, "Well, it's obvious." You know, you do it like this. <laughs> they're smart people and they execute. Mm-hmm. Healthcare in the United States, particularly, just doesn't operate that way. It's very political. It's you know, the largest healthcare provider in the United States is the government. The largest payer in the United States is the government. Uh, is highly regulated, very bureaucratic, and two plus two frequently doesn't equal four. It's just it has its own math, and so that's why over the years you would see you know Google or Microsoft or others would kind of get in and then they get out. Even Amazon got right. in healthcare, got out of healthcare. Like it, it, it on the outside looking in, it seems so obvious. But once you get inside, you realize, no, it really isn't. And so we're unique because you kind of saw my background earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a software guy, but I've been in the insurance and healthcare world really my entire adult career. And I mentioned Jim, you know, he was VP of technology at Amazon. But Jim and I met many, many years ago when he was doing kind of a venture funded project with a very large hospital on the West Coast called Providence Healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so he was already, he was he's very unique in that regard in that he's a globally leading technologist, 
but he happened to have been exposed to the real world of healthcare. And so that was a rare combination. So, you know, he's able to sort of help me kind of connect these two disparate worlds. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of resistance. It's not easy. And yeah, developing new tech solutions is expensive. And you know, you're doing something that's never been done before. It's going to be challenging. Sure. I've noticed, uh, you know, a number of patents or patent, you know, submissions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, the, the total patent portfolio now uh, directly attributed to iRemedy, we've got about a dozen uh, patents and patents pending. I think we've got about five issued and another 10 or 11 pending still, which we feel pretty good about. And, you know, that's a, it's a phenomenal, uh, uh, you know, resource to protect our intellectual property. Uh, so we were ahead of the game. We started really thinking about artificial intelligence and how it could help us solve this problem in healthcare. So what you have in healthcare is probably true in a lot of industries, but in our, in the case of healthcare, very bureaucratic, you know, very legacy driven, you know, super complicated, highly regulated, and just tons and tons of problems of how you manage availability and allocations and pricing and contracts and all these things. And, you know, the, if you had an unlimited number of people, you could solve the problems. You know, if you could go, I'll put a thousand people on that problem, you could solve it. But of course, you can't put a thousand people on the problem. And so what we ended up realizing is, well, AI is getting powerful enough. This was back about four years ago or so. We said, you know, we could develop AI agents who we could teach to help our staff and they could then overwhelm the problem, almost like a brute force kind mm. of solution. So it's like rather than changing the business process, because that's always very difficult to do, we instead develop technology to overwhelm that outdated business process to make the business process work more efficiently. Because you always want to go back to you know, an industry and go, hey, let's scrap everything you're doing and do it a new way. You know, it works so much better. But, you know, people, that's they're not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, so you mentioned AI, and I just want to dig into that a little bit more because I you know, did a little reading on ways that you're using, but I'd like for you to describe maybe how you use that for your catalog or, you know, whether it's logistics or what have you, but how that really comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea, kind of, you know, even our tagline, we talk about smarter supply saves lives. And what we're really saying is to put like intelligence into the supply chain. Because today, you know, there's millions of products, but we know very little actually about where those products come from and how they're manufactured and when they're available and who can buy them at what price. Like it's just very complicated. And we're not able to do that. So we said, Let's build a smart catalog. Let's get as much intelligence into that catalog as we can. That's obviously like an ongoing process. And then let's create some digital agents to help us do that. So what we did was we started looking at everything that we're doing in the company. Is there an AI agent that we could develop to automatically take that over? So Deloitte, created a term called digital doppelgangers. It's the idea of like a digital agent that replicates a human, 
And then the human and the agent work next to each other to get a task done. Well, that's what, that's essentially what our technology does. And so we, we call them personas. So we, we teach a digital agent to do something. And then instead of having one person, so like, for example, we'll have a person that manages our catalog. Anybody in e-commerce, any kind of supply chain will explain will tell you that catalog management is like major hassle, never works properly. Data is always, you know, it's always a problem. You think it wouldn't be, but it really is. And if you had, again, if I had a thousand employees, well, I could just sit there and manually fix the catalog all the time, right? But again, you know, you can't. So what we did is we trained an agent to manage the catalog so it can it can go out on the internet and it can learn databases from other websites and it can pull data down. And then it can talk to our various distributors and dealers and it can check availability of a product in real time. And it can do the things that a human would do. It's just a whole lot of them. It, you know, again, you overwhelm it with brute force. So we've developed, you know, about five of these personas and we're always looking to do more that kind of run our business for us. So yeah, it's interesting. We're still very small. You know, we we did, you know, 50 million plus last year, but we have, I don't know, right now I have to go check, but we have like 20 employees. I mean, we're, you know, relatively very small. That's a great because, financial ratio there. <laughs> yeah, because our operating is done by the right. agents, not by humans. I mean, that's the... That's the goal. We still have a lot of work to do. We're still, obviously, you know, I always tell people software is never done and it never <laughs> works perfectly, you know, so you're constantly enhancing and improving. But those are the concepts that we're after. Try and manage yeah. a very complex world and a very complex industry by overwhelming it with automated agents who work on our behalf. Well, you're kind of setting a standard there for for this this whole sector, right? You're running efficiently and trying to bring that efficiency to the market. That's what we uh, think. And then the market on, it own, on its own one is seeking out efficiency. Hmm. You know, there's, that's why, you know, you'll have a manufacturer who'll say, hey, I, I, you know, we're, you know, some billion dollar company and they're like, we want a more efficient way to get to our customers. Well, you know, then we're here to help enable that, right? So we're, we want to be kind of like a toolbox to be to have tools available to those companies who are looking to modernize or bring efficiency or, or really to revolutionize the distribution you know, methods that they use. Because substantially, most of the medical supply distribution is the same systems, methods, and companies for the last 50 years. There really hasn't been an overhaul of the way that, you know, they're doing that work. Yeah. Well, you know, you kind of touched on something I was going to ask if there were adjacent markets or you know, maybe that could take advantage of this or might, might make sense to kind of, you know, yeah. bring in. So what we did is we took our patent portfolio and we spun it off into a subsidiary company. We took the patents, we licensed them up to iRemedy, so we owe them exclusive we own them exclusively for the medical supply industry. That subsidiary is called Grocket. And our CTO, Jim, 
is now the CEO of that, and he's going to begin to look at what you're describing. You know, are there other, we, and we know there are other mm-hmm. industries that have the same problems. Arguably, every industry does. You know, the way Jim will describe it is he just, he'll, he'll walk you through the ratio of sort of people versus computers and how, you know, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was maybe, you know, one computer for every five people, then one for every three people, then one computer for every person. And, you know, that, right. that, that can, continues to go. The projection now they're saying in 20 years, there'll be more CPUs than trees wow. you know, in the world. Because <laughs> as you know, like everything's got a you know, CPU, yeah. right? I'm sitting right. there looking at my desk right now. There's like nine computers on my desk because you yeah. got a microphone, no doubt, has a chip in it. The computer, obviously, my cell phone's over here. My headset's you know, got chips in it. I mean, on and on and on, right? Yep. So what we end up with is like, information overload. You know, we thought we lived through the information age. I would argue we lived through the information overload age. And so the machines have outpaced the people in terms of the people's ability to manage the machines. And that's what this technology is really designed to do. The technology is designed to equip people with, you know, with agents that work next to them to allow them to manage, you know, those massive overload of tasks and activities. You know, again, it's, you know, you, you know, you and I, you know, I think about it all the time, but I'm like, yeah, I get up in the morning, I'm on my phone and, you know, I got this thing and social media and this function, that function, yeah, you, off you go, right? But yep. 20 years ago, you know, you didn't do any of that, right? No, I mean, you yeah. can look on your phone and see how many devices are essentially assigned to you. And, um, and I spent time at a, at a, company that produced, you know, silicon and, you know, they had one division that was assigned to automotive, you know, cars are rolling computers, you know, so. Yeah. Well, no that's doubt. funny as, of course, I, like I said, I was a you know, kid of a GM executive growing up in the sixties and the seventies. And in those days, cars were kind of analog, you know, mm-hmm. they were internal right. combustion engines with distributors and yep. I know it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it's fine. I feel like I'm like my dad. Well, I understand exactly the way it used to be, (laughs) but today you can't work on a car. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a highly technical, you got, you drive it somewhere, they plug in the the computers and they diagnose it with computer technology. I mean, it's totally different. I can't even imagine the number of microchips in our cars today. Oh yeah. It's it's a, there's a bunch, no doubt about it. All right. Well, let's see here. I'm going to get to our last question here because I don't want to keep you too long. But I, I got to tell you, before we go, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I, I could spend hours with you. Um, but let me ask you this. Thank so you. Uh, as best you can, uh, tell us what's what's on the horizon for iRemedy. What's what's coming? Sure. And, and Roy, let me say also, I enjoy the conversation. Would love to do it more any time because these are subjects I love. But iRemedy's got some pretty exciting things happening. Um, I think you'll see the the really big activity for us goes back to on the uh, this idea of working globally uh, with friendly nations or here in the United States to advance this redomestication of the medical supply chain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think we're industry leaders in that. And that's going to be a really exciting time in the next five to 10 years. Look, it's great on every level. You're bringing jobs back to the United States. We're going to rebuild our manufacturing 
uh, base here in the country. You're going to get better products, higher quality, more reliable. So that's super exciting. We love it. It's a massive business opportunity. On the other side of the coin, you know, sort of the equity side, yeah, we're going to continue to do capital raises. And at some point, you know, there's going to be something probably current thinking is an IPO, but, you know, there's mm-hmm. always that acquisition uh, potential as well. So, you know, the, the job one, though, is to build a, you know, fast growth, highly automated, profitable company. That's the challenge. And do that first. The other things take care of themselves. And that's that's where all our emphasis is. But again, going back to your question, I think you're going to see the excitement in this industry is going to be in this this shift of this, this uh, you know, I hate to say de-globalization, but globalization, as we lived through the last, you know, what it's really been started probably 30 or 40 years ago now, probably about 40 years ago, I'd say in the 80s is when it started. Uh, that's going to substantially change. It's not going to go away, but it's not going to be like it was. That's, that's, that's going to be clear in the next 10 years that, it's not going to be that 90% of everything in this office right here is made in China. That's going to be different. And while it can be a little change can be difficult in some ways for a lot of people, but there's opportunity there. And uh, we're excited by the opportunity side of that discussion. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I, I think you should be. Um, you know, I, I love hearing all about what you and your team have done there. And uh, I'm going to be sure and put links to iRemedy and to your bio in the show notes here. And um, I think I may come back to you at some point here in the future uh, again, because again, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation today. I can't likewise. thank you enough. Likewise, Roy, I did too. Look forward to talking again soon. Thank you for listening to the Accelerating Growth Reg A to M&A podcast. Please share with your colleagues and subscribe And feel free to contact us with suggestions for interviews or topics that you'd like to hear. We'll catch you on the next one.